The following message entitled, New Beginnings, part four of the series, Ruth, Real Happy Endings, was given by Bob Mundorf on the 25th of August, 2013, at Sovereign Grace Church of Indiana, Pennsylvania. To learn more about our church, please visit sgcindianapa.org. Well, have you been enjoying the book of Ruth? It's been a great study, hasn't it? We have, we're in uh, chapter 4 this morning. We're going to try to finish it up, Lord willing, this morning. So if you have your Bibles, uh, please turn to Ruth chapter 4. And Ruth is a little book in the Old Testament that follows Judges. So if you find Judges, a bigger book, Ruth comes right after that. And then 1 Samuel after that. So if, you, if you're new to the church or if you're a college student who just came in, if you haven't been here over the last couple weeks, uh, we've been going through the book of Ruth. We've preached uh, chapter 1 through 3, and uh, it's just been a, a great and wonderful study. And as I've been paying attention to Mark's messages, I'm, I was kind of thinking, you know, he kept saying, this is a love story. And I was kind of thinking, is, is this a, like a biblical romance novel? And, and I'm, I'm not sure because I've never read a romance novel, but... Joe, Joe Ryer has. Where's he at? Joe? No? no. Oh, okay. I don't, I don't think Joe reads romance novels. He's more an American ninja warrior kind of guy. But I did watch a Hallmark original or Lifetime original movie one time with, with my wife Jane. That's right. But I was into it. It was like a mini-series, and, and the storyline of Ruth kind of reminded me of that a little bit. So, I think we could suggest Hollywood makes a modern-day Ruth into a Lifetime original. If you weren't here the last couple of weeks, just to catch you up on what's happened so far, a brief review. In chapter 1, we met this Jewish family, Naomi, her husband Elimelech, their two sons, Malon and Kilion, and they were in Bethlehem where there was a famine. And so they left Bethlehem and went to the land of Moab. Bad move. But, in God's providence, uh, Malon, one of the children, found Ruth. And and Kilion also found a woman and married her there in the land of Moab. Orpah. I keep wanting to say Oprah, but it was Orpah. (laughs) Orpah. Kilion married Orpah. Malon married Ruth. And we're, we're told that they lived there for about ten years, and during that time, uh, disaster struck. All the men, Malon, Kilion, Elimelech, died, and the women, the three women, were left widowed. So Naomi and Ruth returned to Bethlehem. Orpah went on her way, stayed in Moab. And in chapter 2, we saw that Ruth met this wealthy businessman named Boaz, He came into Ruth's life, one thing led to another, and it seemed like the story was just going to end happily ever after right there, until chapter 3, which is what we talked about last week, when this mysterious stranger came on the scene. And this mysterious stranger was actually Ruth's kinsman redeemer. And Mark talked about the kinsman redeemer being a position that was instituted by God in order to protect a widow from a a dangerous life. And so what it was was 
her husband, Malon's next of kin, would have been her kinsman redeemer. And he would, he would pay off her debts. He would help her with things like that. He would potentially marry her and take care of her. Because it was, it was a time when being a widow was dangerous. And they weren't cared for very well. So God, in his love and care, provided this kinsman redeemer. And it appears that this mystery man is, is Ruth's kinsman redeemer. So that's where we were left last week, kind of hanging on the edge of our seats. And the plot thickened, the suspense built, because we all thought that Boaz was going to be the kinsman redeemer and Mary Ruth. This guy comes on the scene. And, and I think we all instinctively feel that this guy's not the right guy for Ruth, right? She should be with Boaz. So regardless of this, this Hollywood storyline, Mark has done a great job of showing us that under the surface there's a lot more to this book than just being a love story. It is a great love story, but there's a lot more to it. It's a, it's a story that's not only about Boaz and Ruth and Naomi and the mystery man, but it's, it's a story about God. It's a story about God's love. It's a story about a God who comes to fix broken things and redeem a people. And that's what we're going to see today in chapter 4. Let's pray. Lord, we are dependent upon you for anything good, Lord, and you are generous and you are good. So we pray, Lord, as we study your word, as we study Ruth chapter 4, Lord, that you would, you would reveal the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to your saints, that you would show us, Lord, that the things that were written in former times are there to give us hope that you would give us insight, Lord, that maybe we haven't seen before, and that you would build up your church by showing us that that Jesus is the true Redeemer. We pray that you would do these things through the preaching of your word, Lord. Give me clarity as I teach, Lord. I I am fully dependent on you, and I declare that before everyone. So I ask for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. Ruth chapter 4, verse 1. And just a little bit of background real quick before we read. If you remember last week, Boaz was going on a mission to find this this kinsman redeemer, right? He was going to look for this mystery man. He was heading into town, and that's where we'll pick it up. 4.1 Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, behold, the redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. So what's happening here is, this is how things were decided in ancient cities. At the gate. That's where business was done. That's where transactions took place. And the elders of the city came in and sat down as witnesses. Now keep in mind, as we, as we mentioned in our prayer, that the New Testament tells us that Whatever was written in former times, the Old Testament, for example, was written for our instruction that we might have hope. So as we're going through this book, as we're going through the Old Testament, we want to to be tuned in to how is God giving us hope here? And one of the things that that is easy to miss in this first section is in verse 1. Look again. It It says, And behold... He's saying, look, don't miss this. Behold, 
the Redeemer, the exact guy whom Boaz was looking for, who Boaz had to find and then get to come to the city gate and do this transaction with. Behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. That's easy to miss. And, you know, you might say, hmm, what a, what a coincidence that was. That really worked out nice for Boaz, didn't it? That this guy just came by as he was going into town to look for him and do this transaction. He's seeking to obey God's word, seeking to care for Ruth. And, wow, what, what a great chance that he just came by. But I think rather than coincidence, we need to see things like that as providence, as God's providence. God's providence is seeing him work behind the scenes to work out all things for His will. And God, He does that in our lives. And I think the reason that Boaz saw that so quickly was because he was a man who walked by faith and not by sight. He was a man who was was tuned in to what God was doing in his life. And I imagine, you know, he was probably praying about this a lot. He was... Yeah, he was motivated by his love for Ruth, but he was also motivated because God said, this is what needs to happen for Ruth. A kinsman redeemer needs to be found. And so he's trusting in the Lord, and he's looking for God's providence. And I think the eyes of faith, the eyes of faith, see, notice, are more aware of God's providence, more than when we just walk by sight. Boaz was actively trusting God, and he just happened to see this guy walk by at this time. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking how how encouraging it is when when we notice and talk about God's providence in our lives, how how God maybe worked things and ordered things in our past to, to get us to where we are now. And we see in hindsight how it worked out for our good. But one of the things that it's it's harder to see. One of the things that we really need the eyes of faith to see is how is God working in our lives right now, this week, during, during this season. Think about what's going on in your life. Sometimes things aren't going as well as you want. Sometimes things are going great. And that can be harder to see with the eyes of faith to know that God is doing something. It's, it's just what Joe had mentioned this morning when he came up and shared an encouragement with us. God is the author of our faith. And He's writing the book of your life. And we don't know what's going to happen in the next chapter. We don't even know what's happening right now a lot of times. But that's what God wants us to see from this, I believe. God wants us to see that He is behind the scenes, providentially working things out for our good. The eyes of faith realize that. So Boaz finds this mystery man redeemer. God happens to bring him by. And let's see what happens next. Verse 3. Then he said to the redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. Now, Remember, Boaz and the mystery redeemer are Elimelech's relative. That's why they're there, so that they can redeem Ruth. Verse 4, So I thought I would tell you of it and say, Buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me. 
that I may know. For there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. So the mystery redeemer just announces that he'll, he will buy the field. He'll redeem the field. And if, if I can speculate for a minute, and this isn't in the scripture, I'm just trying to think of, of what went on in Boaz's thinking before this, leading up to this moment. This is probably what you'd see in the Lifetime original if they made a movie out of this. I could see Boaz you know, just spending hours praying, Lord, I'm going to go look for this guy because this is your will. And he's probably praying, Lord, I hope it works out for Ruth and I, but you know, this, is, this is the next guy in line, so I'm going to look for him. Would you work this out? And, and he's probably plotting, about, plotting and thinking about what he's going to say, planning ahead. He's a, he's a shrewd businessman, so he's a planner. He's probably thinking about every word he's going to say. He's thinking about what the Redeemer says. And he probably thinks, okay, so I'm going to offer the field. He's going to say, I'll redeem it. And that's what happened. And then he probably thought, okay, here's what I'll say next. And that's what we see in verse 5. Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. In other words, this is where Boaz gives the fine print. Here's the catch, okay? This is a package deal. You not only get the field, but you must redeem Ruth, the Moabite. And I find it significant that he called her Ruth the Moabite because Malon was a Jew, but Ruth was a Moabite. Moabites were, were looked down upon in that time. Not manipulative, just a shrewd businessman. He's telling the truth, probably caring for Ruth. He didn't want her to end up with the wrong guy. So here's, here, here's the deal. It's a package deal. You've got to redeem Ruth as well. And it says, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. And perpetual family lineage, lineage as we're going to see throughout this chapter, is really important to, to the Hebrews. And so the field, the field was in Elimelech's possession. He died. It went to Malon. Malon died. And now it's kind of being held by Ruth and Naomi at this time. And we see Boaz being faithful here to, to obey God's word and find this Redeemer and offer it to him. But now it's looking like it's going to work toward his favor. Verse 6. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. In other words, Mr. No-Name Redeemer here says that he's not going to do it because it would corrupt his own inheritance. So you know Boaz, this, this calm, cool, shrewd businessman, probably keeping a straight face on the outside, but on the inside he's doing one of these. Yes! Yes! He's like thinking, all right, Ruth can be mine. I can redeem her. And I just, uh, just notice here, and, and I'm trying to keep this in mind as we read through this story, being a love story, that that Boaz was probably extremely happy that he, it looks like he's going to be with Ruth. But what's, what's driving him to do this initially is that this is God's way. Back in Deuteronomy chapter 25, God has instituted this thing called the law of leveret marriage where he's telling people, he's telling his people to do this, to redeem the widows. 
And this is because God cares for, he cares for the weak, he cares for the helpless. And he didn't want Ruth to be left on her own. And one thing to understand as we think about this is that uh, God, a lot of times we can think God made all these laws in the Old Testament because he's mean and he's restrictive. And, and I've heard many people say, God, the God of the Old Testament seems so mean. But the God of the New Testament seems so loving. But that's not the case. God, God created this law, for example, because he cared about women. And in this society, in this culture that, where this took place, remember, this was in the time of the judges. And the last verse in the book of Judges tells us, and that's right before Ruth, that this is a time when every man did what was right in his own eyes. This was a godless, dark time. And God cared about women because he knew what would happen if Ruth fell into the hands of evil men. You remember back in chapter 2, when Boaz had to tell his field hands, hey, hey guys, keep your hands off of Ruth. Don't assault her as she's out gleaning the fields. I mean, why did he have to tell her this? It's because this is a time when every man did what was right in his own eyes. And there was not a lot of regard for God's ways. But God, in his kindness, who saw that coming, made these kind of laws. And that's what God does. He cares for the weak. He cares for the helpless. And this is a time when not only women were, were weaker and helpless and lowly in society, but widows were a step lower. And then you throw in the fact that Ruth was a Moabite, a sojourner in the land, and she's way down here in the ranks. And God wanted to redeem her and protect her because he cared for her. And he cares for us. And we're going to see that, that that's why he sent us a redeemer. So Boaz, Boaz was a redeemer. That's why he was doing this. And I'd like to take just a, a couple minutes to contrast Boaz with this mystery man that's, that's unnamed. Ancient Jewish uh, writing scholars tell us are, are doing something intentional when they leave the name out of someone significant in the story. Now, Boaz would have known this guy's name, but notice he, he isn't named. He's a close relative of Boaz. But we're told in commentaries that ancient Jewish literature uh, left the name intentionally off when they wanted to show us something. They wanted that to symbolize something. And you can see it really clearly in this story. That was that this, Boaz, I think, called him friend. He said, come sit down here, friend. But that word can also be translated as something like Mr. So-and-so or Mr. No-Name or Anonymous or John Doe. And when they used that word, they were trying to symbolize mankind apart from God. Kind of like, um, you know, think about Proverbs 3, that verse that says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. So the, the mystery man was kind of like the, he's leaning on his own understanding. He's not trusting God. He's just mankind apart from God's way. Where Boaz, who is a picture of Jesus Christ, is the picture of trusting in the Lord. And so we see that played out here because Mr. So-and-so or Mr. No-Name is, is walking in the flesh. It's kind of like what we call in the New Testament the flesh. Walking in the flesh or walking by sight. And that's what he's doing. He's, he's just thinking, 
okay, he's proposed with this, um, this deal. The field would work out for him. That would be convenient. I'll buy the field. Then, oh, but Ruth has to be, has to be redeemed as well. That's a little inconvenient. Um, I'm not going to do it. He's thinking, what's, what's in it for me? What is, what can I get out of this deal? And I don't want us to miss the contrast here. Because that can be our default mode too. That can be our way of thinking if we're not intentional to, to put God in the equation. If we're not intentional to, to walk by faith and not by sight. If we're not intentional to walk in the Spirit of God, we can think like this guy. I mean, do you ever find yourself thinking like this? I do. Um, what, what's in it for me to, to go to care group tonight? I'm not sure I want to do that. Or, or will this fulfill me? Uh, will serving in this way in the church, will it fulfill me? What's in it for me? Or will I enjoy getting together with my neighbor to try to disciple him or her? Or will I enjoy serving my sick spouse? What, what's in it for me? That's Mr. No Name. That's how he thinks. And that's how we can think too all the time if we're not factoring God into the equation, if we're not walking by faith, walking by God's Word. And on the contrast, Boaz, Boaz was a picture of Christ. Boaz didn't leave God out of the equation. I was studying for this, and I love what Bible scholar Ian Duguid says in this sentence. He says, God's kingdom operates on a different kind of calculus. A new math in which the way to fullness runs through emptiness. Mr. So-and-so didn't do that kind of math. So the numbers just didn't add up for him. See, Boaz was willing to lay down his conveniences while Mr. No-Name wasn't. And we, we can make more sense of this when we remember Boaz was a picture of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, who laid down all of the conveniences of sitting on the throne in heaven and becoming a servant to die for our sins. That's what it means to be selfless. That's what I think God wants us to see and gain hope from in this little passage. And, you know, just like, just like Duguid calls this the new math, I just kind of call it walking by faith, it can be hard to learn new math, can't it? It can, be, it can take a little while. And God has ways of tutoring us, just like He did for Naomi. Naomi, she didn't get this at first. You remember, she was not walking by faith. She was bitter. She was an angry woman. And God in His providence allowed these trials to come into her life, these afflictions. And I know that's hard that's a hard pill to swallow, but we've got we've to look at this story through the lens of the New Testament. And the New Testament tells us things like in, in 1 Corinthians, or I think it was 2 Corinthians, where Paul told the Corinthians that afflictions teach us to rely not on ourselves, but on God. And, and, and James and Peter and Jesus taught us that, that trials build our faith. Trials help us to learn this new math. Trials help us to learn to walk by faith. And God intends it for good, even though it can be hard. 
So look at how... Oh, before we look at verse 7, just had another thought that my notes reminded me of. Um, one other distinction between Boaz and this mystery man that I think is important for us to mention. Um, Boaz, or I mean Mr. Mr. No Name here, who was technically supposed to redeem Ruth, he let her down. He was supposed to do that, but he let her down. And Boaz, a picture of Jesus, didn't let her down. And I was just thinking, you know, this is a truth that we need to remember. People will always let us down. We can't hold people on too high a pedestal. Our friends will let us down. Our brothers and sisters, our parents, our children, our relatives will all let us down. But there's one person who will never ever let us down, and that's Jesus Christ. He won't ever let us down. And, and I know that we can be tempted to be bitter and angry when we're let down. But I want to remind us to, to turn to the One who will never leave us nor forsake us when, when we're let down. And, and remember that we too will let others down. We're just people. There's a big difference here between Mr. No Name and Boaz. And the real difference is between Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life, who will redeem us, who will never leave us and forsake us, and people. So I think that's one of the things that God wants us to see in this passage. Look how they do the deal in verse 7. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. So that's a little weird. What, what's the deal with this sandal exchange? Um, as it says in verse 7, it was a custom in former times. This was just what they did to ratify a contract. This was sort of, you know, you hand over your flip-flop and you're signing on the dotted line right there. That's how they, they sealed the deal right there. And I was just thinking this morning that keeping in mind that Mr. No Name was supposed to do this, but he didn't, Boaz stepped in as a substitute. And that's just what Jesus did for us. We could never redeem ourselves. Nobody can redeem you except Jesus. And He stepped in as our substitute and died for our sins. He sealed the deal. When He was on the cross, He said, It is finished. That's signing on the dotted line. We can never, ever, ever, ever lose that because He did it for us as our substitute. Verse 9, Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and Malon. Also Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. So here we see that Boaz purchased two things. And there were all these witnesses that saw it. Boaz purchased the land. He redeemed the land. But he also redeemed his bride, Ruth, which we're going to see in a minute. They're going to get married. But 
What does that mean to us in the big picture of the Bible? You know, I, I want to remind us, before I tell you what that means to us, that, that God said through the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul who wrote a large portion of the Old Testament, God said that his job, or Paul said that my God-given job, my stewardship, is to make the Word of God fully known. The mystery, mystery, hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to His saints. So when we read this, this mystery, this is a part of that mystery, hidden for ages and generations. When we read it through the eyes of the Apostle Paul's writings, of the New Testament, we can begin to unravel that mystery. Because that's what he was doing. He was revealing this mystery, hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. It was hidden. The Jews, the Jews read this story and they got a lot of great biblical principles out of it. But, oh, we see it in so much of a clearer picture, looking at it through Jesus Christ who fulfilled it. And this, this points us. Boaz purchasing the land and purchasing his bride being a shadow of Jesus Christ, as we've mentioned, reveals to us, I believe, that, that Jesus, by His death, redeemed His bride, the church. Jesus purchased His bride, His Ruth, the church, all who would believe in Him. This pointed to that. And it was fulfilled in that. But Jesus also purchased something else. Just as Boaz purchased the field, the land. Jesus purchased for us a new land, unstained by sin, which we will one day inherit. 2 Peter 3.13 tells us, but according to His promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So God's plan for, for Jesus was to rescue His bride and prepare a place where they might live together for eternity. And I think that's what this, this story in Ruth is giving us a picture of. And one more thing that I don't want to miss. In verse 10, in verse 10, it says that Boaz did all of this to ensure that the name of the Lord, or the name of the dead, may not be cut off from among his brothers. That the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers. And we've mentioned that, that lineage, uh, having, having your name in the Hebrew genealogy book was a very important thing to the Jews. And that was one of Boaz's purposes in doing this. But there's a far more important book to us than the Hebrew gene genealogy book. And that is the book of life. And the reason that Jesus redeemed His church and conquered sin and death was so that our names would be never, ever, ever cut out of the book of life. Just like Boaz did this, so that the name wouldn't be cut out of the lineage. Jesus Christ died, conquered death, and redeemed us so that our names would never be blotted out of the book of eternal life. That's encouraging. So it seems that, it seems that by this time they've accumulated quite a crowd around them. And that's where we're at in verse 11. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make this woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, 
who together build up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So these people were, were praying, the people who were witnessing were praying that God would make this marriage like Ruth and, and, uh, or Rachel and Leah. And in other words, I, I think what that meant was he, they were praying that, that they would have a lot of children because Rachel and Leah had a lot of children. And the Israelites, the Israelites didn't view children as a burden. They had the right view of children. They viewed children as, as a blessing. And God's Word tells us that children are a blessing. And as we're going to see in just, just a couple of minutes, that I don't think they realized what the answer to this prayer would do. Because through their children, Ruth and Boaz's children, came a, a true Redeemer. Verse 13, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. They got married and he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. They moved quick. Then the woman said to Na- the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the, and the, the women of the neighborhood gave him a name. That's kind of weird, huh? The women of the neighborhood gave him a name. Just an observation. Saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. So, here we have Ruth becoming a wife and a mom. And, and Naomi becoming a grandma. And this is the, the beginning of, I think, what this story really means. Here we have a new, a new beginning. We see redemption begin to take place. Little baby Obed, the grandson of Naomi. This, this passage that we just read tells us that he would grow. He would, he would father Jesse and Jesse would father David. So Naomi would be the great-grandmother of King David. Look at the last couple verses in this chapter. Here's how it ends. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. You thought I'd skip the genealogy, didn't you? If you've read through the Bible in a year, genealogies are kind of tough. They can be like reading through a Hebrew phone book. But they're significant, and we need, we need to read them. There's a lot that we can get out of them. And I think that Ruth probably had no clue at the time in her life that all this was going on that she would be the great-grandmother of the king of Israel. This, this, I think, gives us hope in this way. Just as Ruth had no clue what would happen generations down the road, again, like Joe said this, this morning, we, we have no clue what God could be doing in our lives right now. 
you know, all those things that we're tempted to complain and grumble about that we don't understand. We don't know what God could be ordaining in our lives. I heard a guy one time talk about it like, like it was a, God was creating this beautiful tapestry. And from, from our perspective underneath, if you've ever looked at the bottom of a tapestry, you just see this mass of tangled mess and threads that don't make any sense. And you know, this might not have made a lot of sense to Ruth as it was going on. But one day, one day, when God reveals to us what He was doing from His side of the tapestry, we're going to see a beautiful, a beautiful piece of God's redemption. And because He is sovereign over our lives, over ordering all of the events of our lives, you are a part of that. What He's doing in your life right now is a part of that. The question is, do, do we have the eyes of faith to see that and be aware of that? Ruth didn't notice it then. But as, as Joe mentioned, the next chapter God is writing as well. And the next chapter and the next chapter. And maybe God is orchestrating what's going on in your life for not only your good, but the good of your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren. You know, we have an opportunity with our Lord to make a turning point in our genealogy. To turn our generations that follow for the Lord. I think that's how we need to see our lives. I'm not going to read it, but the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1 parallels this and gives us a broader picture of, of the descendants from, from way before Boaz and Ruth down to Jesus. And that's what it shows us. It shows us that Ruth and Boaz were a picture or were, were a part of the lineage that came down to Jesus Christ. He was born. He, he was a descendant of theirs. But one of the things that I noticed as I was studying uh, reading Matthew chapter 1, Matthew gives us a few more interesting details in the genealogy that we didn't have in the book of Ruth. I'll just show you a couple of things. It says, And Judah, the father of Perez, remember Perez, the great, 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 great grandfather of Boaz, and Judah, the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, by Tamar. Perez, or I mean Judah, Judah's wife was Tamar. You remember Tamar? She was the woman in the Old Testament who dressed up like a prostitute and seduced her father-in-law. Okay, so we've got Tamar in the lineage of Jesus. And a little bit down, it goes uh, in, on to verse 5, and Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. Boaz's dad, Salmon, married Rahab. Rahab was Boaz's mom. Now, if you remember the story about Rahab, Rahab wasn't a woman who dressed up like a prostitute. She was a prostitute. She was a prostitute for many years before she came to faith in the one true God. So, I was just thinking, you know, and and it goes on down. There are men too. David is in there. David, who, who murdered Bathsheba's husband in an affair gone ugly. A murderer, an adulterer, David. I was just thinking, why would God choose to give us all of the juicy details of those who were in Jesus' lineage? I mean, that's a big part of what the Old Testament is. The Old Testament, one of the things the Old Testament does, it shows us 
the line through whom Jesus Christ, the Messiah, came. But it also shows us that that line was made up of a vast array of questionable characters. And I wondered, why didn't God just cover that all up underneath thousands of years of history and hide it? Why wouldn't He do that? Why wouldn't He want us to think Jesus came from a a really good, godly line of people? Which there were some really good, godly people, but there were also some horrendous sinners in that line. Why did He do that? Well, I think that He did that because He wants us to know that Jesus came to rescue sinners. Jesus came to rescue sinners just like His ancestors. Sinners just like every single one of us in this room. That's who Jesus came to rescue. We're told he's a, he's a friend of sinners. And he didn't do this just by sitting on his throne in heaven where it was convenient for him to stay and sending an angel to do it or doing it by remote control. He got up off the throne and he came down to earth. God himself who created this earth came to earth, became a man, came through the line of the Jews, but welcomed everyone who would trust in Him, no matter where they're from, no matter what nationality. That's why, that's why Ruth the Moabite was brought in to show us that God wants us to care for all kinds of people. That's why I think Rahab and Tamar and David were included, to show us that God wants us to welcome all kinds of people. Because apart from Him, you and I both know that we're, just in our, we're in our sins just as much. And I think God would want us to be a church who welcomes all kinds of people. International students from IUP and their families. People who we might look down on, like maybe people looked down on Rahab before she was a woman of God. And by the way, maybe people kept looking down on Rahab after she believed in God. Maybe people kept looking down on Ruth after she was a a, a child of God and put her faith in God. Maybe people still saw Rahab as a prostitute, David as an adulterer, Ruth as a, a lowly Moabite widow. But I don't think Boaz's dad, Salmon, saw his wife Rahab as a prostitute. I think he saw her as a woman of God. You know why? Because he, he didn't view her by her past sins. I don't think Boaz viewed Ruth as this lowly foreigner woman. And I think there's a point there for us. I don't think Jesus wants us to view ourselves and one another by however we labeled ourselves in the past because the Bible says that if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. And I think we need to remind ourselves of that truth. And I think that's one of the things this story tells us. When we read about Ruth and Boaz starting a new life together, when we think about Grandma Naomi sitting there holding little baby Obed on her lap, that's a a picture of new beginnings. That's a picture of redemption taking place. God gave them a new start. Jesus Christ gave us a new start. Jesus Christ is the true Redeemer. He wants us to remember that. And if you're here today and you're still in your sins and you haven't been redeemed and you're sure that you haven't believed in Jesus, 
All you need to do is put your trust in him. Just stop being like Mr. No Name and leaning on your own understanding and put your trust in him that he is God, came to this earth as a man, died for your sins. And he'll forgive you. Jesus said, Behold, I make all things new. And there is only one Redeemer. It's not Boaz. It's Jesus Christ. Let's have the band come up and we'll pray. Lord, show us. Remind us who have been Christians for years. Reveal to those who aren't yet Christians that Jesus Christ is the one and only Redeemer. And that this this beautiful story points to Him and Him alone. Father, open our eyes. Open the eyes of our heart that we might walk by faith. Open the eyes of, of those who are still blind and in their sins. Please, as we sing this last song, I pray, Lord, we pray that, that anyone here who doesn't trust in Jesus would, as a result of, of You and Your work in their lives. And help us, Lord, to see how You work in our lives. And Lord, I pray specifically for those who are going through really hard times, really bad times, and it's really hard for them to see with the eyes of faith and to understand your providence. Lord, they need extra help from you. We pray that you would comfort them, give them peace, and help them to believe that you are up to something good in their lives, even when when it hurts. Lord, help us. We need you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.